talking about life and serving the Lord and growing together, hopefully, as we seek to please the Lord in all that we do. In this particular study, we're looking at essentials for evangelism. In Titus chapter 1, we focused on how the church must have a healthy leadership. If we are going to be effective in reaching the people in our families and the people around us and the community where we worship, the Lord's church must strive for healthiness, spiritual soundness. And it starts with the leadership. No group rises above its leadership. A congregation stands or falls by its leadership. And those of you who have served or been blessed by godly elders, you know how wonderful that is. And then in chapter 2, we got into the idea of healthy membership. Tonight we're going to be focusing on Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 7, a healthy membership in connection with being gracious. At the top of your study guide, the two words for tonight are be gracious. And that probably doesn't surprise you. You've been noticing the screen behind me. I think everything that I say tonight, I'm going to strive to make it all tie in to how we as children of God, if we're to be healthy in the work that we're doing, particularly making disciples of the nations, that, that's the idea of evangelism. Evangelism is not limited to this piece of wood. This is only a small part of it. Nearly all, nearly all of life takes place away from this building. Okay? That doesn't mean that what happens here isn't of utmost importance. It is. But the other is too. And so we want to be a healthy congregation of God's people, healthy in the work that we do in trying to disciple the nations and the communities. Let's make it more personal. The communities and the families that are where we live. When there are needs that need to be met overseas, it's a noble thing to help people when they are absolutely not able to do it themselves. But it's another thing to send money to other places and let that money be out of sight, out of mind, and kind of forget about the people where we are. And I hope that that has never happened, but in my experience, it has. I've seen it happen, and it's not a good thing, and we don't want that to happen. It may be that people are willing to take trips to other places, and that's a noble thing if you do it with a pure heart and a sincere desire. There is nothing wrong with that. But then to come back home where we live and not talk to the people in our community about Jesus, that's a real problem. It's a problem. I think as a whole, we justify that. Well, people in other countries want the gospel more. Uh, well, I don't recall that the Great Commission said to go into all the world where they want it and preach the gospel to every creature. If it is the case that people in other countries want the gospel more than they do here, so be it. I'm glad that they do, but that is not a contingent of the Great Commission. It applies to us here. Some of you, I'm looking out at the various congregations and communities where you live in northeast Arkansas. The principles apply to us where we live. Our families, our homes, our neighbors, our streets, our subdivisions, the buildings around our buildings, etc. It could be, if we're honest, that it's a tad easier to teach the whole truth somewhere else where we don't live 
than to teach it where we do, in our workplaces and at school, where people might get mad at us or not like us. I hope that's not the case, but I'm going to be frank with you. That has been an excuse that I've made in the past, and I'm not proud of it. It was easier to go here and there and yonder and everywhere. Not that I've traveled around the world. I've never been out of this country. But I have been in other places and smaller and different places and communities and so forth where I tended to get a little more bold. <laughs> and when I got back to my subdivision, you know, months and months and months passed. And, you know, I didn't really do anything. You know, I was going to church and that was about it. We want to be effective where we are. We want to reach people where we are. People who come to a gospel meeting, generally speaking, are not the people who are trying to make excuses to not evangelize. Generally, the people who come to an event like this are people who do want to. And you're looking for ways to be better at it, to be more effective. And I'm going to assume that. And many of you I know and I've gotten to know, and I believe that about you. Many of you. I hope and I trust that for all of us. And so let's keep that in mind as we want to be healthy in the work that we're doing. Let's go back to the text. And since some time has passed, and I've said several things, let's look together at the text and read it again. And thank you, Josh, for reading the scripture tonight. You did a great job. Remind them, and remember this letter was written by Paul to Titus the evangelist. And so Paul is telling Titus to remind them to be subject to rulers, and that would be remind the brethren, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men, to all people. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now let's unpack that together as we consider this together. Let's consider first about how we can be gracious, how we need to be gracious, how we must be gracious in our reaching people and our families and our communities and our workplaces First, let's consider, number one, be gracious by reminding them. And I think that would include the church, one another, and also a teaching to people into the community that these are some of the things that God expects of people to be subject to, to arrange your life under the authority of those that are in charge, to rulers, authorities, to obey. Children of God are people, to be people who obey the laws of the land, unless the laws of the land command us to sin or forbid us to obey God, as far as I know, other than that, we're to obey the civil rulers. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes that could be really, really tough. I can only imagine, I don't want to have to deal with a situation where what if the government made a law where you had to wear a hazmat suit in the church building? And if you didn't, you went to prison for 20 years. That'd be tough. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I don't have the answer for that. But I'd love to stand by the Bible and I'd love to say, look, we're supposed to be obedient people. We're, we're not to be characteristic of being disobedient, rebel rousers, causing problems in our communities and in our workplaces. As children of God, we'll be ready, prepared for every good work, he says. 
Be gracious by reminding them to speak evil of no one. That doesn't do any good, any benefit. But you know, we tend to do it because we get aggravated. We feel hurt. Sometimes people wrong us in our jobs and in other places. And I get it. I've been wrong too. Don't think, well, you're a preacher. Hardly anybody wrongs you because you're around the brethren. Are we so naive to think that brethren never hurt one another? <laughs> or that... Uh, or that evangelists don't know people in the community as well who perhaps have hurt them. You know, a good evangelist knows people in the community. He's been around. He's been getting to know them. He, he deals with sinners too, just like, just like you all do as well. And it's a rough world out there. And we want to be as effective as we can. And again, the key tonight is by being gracious. Titus was to teach this by reminding them of these things, to be peaceable, to be gentle, and to show all humility, that is meekness, gentleness. Let's take each of those, peaceable. We can't mistake peaceable with not teaching the gospel or not bringing up things that people need to hear. Peace is the harmony that exists because of God's word. Think of it like this. When God spoke the, the creation into existence in the very, very beginning, I'm talking about the second, the literal second after he spoke it into existence, there was chaos. And the Spirit of God began to hover over the face of the waters. And then God the Father was commanding through Jesus Christ, according to John 1, and bringing those things he created, all those materials, from chaos to what? Order. That's the idea of peace, unity, harmony. Peace doesn't mean I don't talk about something people don't want to hear. Well, you know, he's just not a peaceful person. He talks about how we're supposed to obey Jesus and love Jesus. No. Peace comes from the truth of God's word because only God can speak words that bring organization, unity, harmony, and peace. So the way that we are to be people of peace is to hear the word of God, accept the word of God, obey the word of God. We can be at peace with God. And then when we speak words of truth to others in humility, as this passage teaches, then they too can come to be at peace with God. And we need to think of it like a project, a constant project, discipleship. We don't just say one word or quote one scripture or do two sermons or even one year of sermons and we're done. We've got it done. We've done it. I did it. It's like a constant project for ourselves and for the people around us. We're constantly discipling them and speaking words of truth that can bring them to be at peace, unity, and harmony where they will not be in chaos, in sin, away from God. And so we're to be a peaceable people and gentle and showing all humility and meekness. That's the idea. Humility, as we've studied already in this section or this uh, these series of sermons together, I truly believe humility is the idea that we know our proper role. Scripture teaches us that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, Romans 12, 3. But on the other hand, we're to love ourselves. Yeah, did you know that? We're to love our neighbor as ourself. Huh. So we are of value. We're not to think more than we ought, but we're not to think less than we ought. We're not to look at ourselves and be like, you know, I'm no good. I'm just sorry. I'm not even important in the sight of God. I'm a nobody. That's, 
That's not right. That's not the right mindset. Even in our sin, God loves us. He doesn't approve of the wrong we're doing, but we're still of value to Him. And He's trying to draw us in with the gospel, if you will, like fishing. You know, like an important sheep that's lost, bringing back into the fold. A coin of value, bring it back, put it in the circulation. The son, imagine children that don't have parents. Well, I might come back to that if I remember. That's such a wonderful illustration, Luke, Luke chapter 15. So humility, if he was to remind them to show all humility, and this was something that others could see, it would no doubt affect their evangelism efforts, their efforts to reach out to others. When people saw the church of Christ on the island of Crete, they could see people who knew their proper role. People who didn't think too highly of themselves, but on the other hand, they weren't walking around thinking and living a drooped down, melancholy, I'm no good, life's not worth it, I'm of no value to God, might as well quit the faith. No, 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 no. No, the child of God is humble. They know their proper role. And part of that role surrounds us drawing people to Christ. I mean, if we're the light of the world, that's what light does. Light draws. <laughs> and the power and the strength, the healing power, the growing power of the sun. We reflect the sun, S-O-N, right? So we're to be gracious by reminding ourselves and others of these things. And we will be healthy in the work that we're doing. Let's focus next and spend even more time on two and three. Number two, we're to be gracious by remembering our past, keyword, past godlessness. And God's graciousness, keyword graciousness. Ah, studying this section in verse three has really been very... Uh, uh, it has, it has held me to accountability. To think about myself as a, as a child of God, who's the light of the world, how I'm to be gracious to people in the world. And we know what the people in the world are like. We know. But we're to be gracious by remembering our past. Our past godliness. Not living according to our past ungodliness, but remembering we once were there too. It's just that easy. To think of ourselves more than we ought. To look down our noses at others in the world. And treat them like an issue instead of a person for whom Jesus got spit in the face for. A person for whom Jesus hung on the cross and died. That puts it in per into perspective. Look at verse 2, the last phrase, into verse 3. Showing all humility to all men for... Again, that's the Greek word gar. We've noticed that in our studies. The word is because. Because you, you be humble toward all people. You know your proper role toward it. Be gracious. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. It's so very interesting how the inspired writer was told by the Holy Spirit to write, for we... Paul would be including himself in that. Don't tell me that the Apostle Paul was not a sinner before he became a Christian. He was. We talk about how he did great things and he thought he was doing right, and that's true. How he did it in good conscience, that's true. Bottom line, he was a sinner. He was outside of Christ. He was not right with God 
prior to his arising and being baptized and washing away his sins. Acts twenty two sixteen. We ourselves need to remember that we once were these things. Now let's just take each of them very quickly. It's easy for us to look, and I, I have struggled with this so much, and I truly would like to think that I'm growing and I'm getting better at this because I love Christ, and I know you do too, and I love people around me. I feel like I'm growing in my concern for others. I've noticed it in the way I talk to other people. The more I care for them and think Jesus died for them. It doesn't matter if I like them. It doesn't matter what they did. Jesus died for them. They deserve the opportunity. We ourselves were once foolish. How often do we look at people in the world and we think and we say, they're just so foolish. I just don't get why they do what they do. Really? Really? We don't get why people are living in sin. We once were living in sin, remember? Remember? Yes, let's be honest. Yes. If we weren't once living in sin before we were baptized, why were we baptized? <laughs> we were once in sin. And we once were foolish too, making poor decisions. You know, I believe, and I'm sure there are others that believe this, good people that are taught right, they'll do right. They will. And there are people out there looking, they're searching. We tend to think they're not, but they are, and God knows who they are. Our job is not to know who they are. It's our job to find who they are. Broadcast the seed. Put it out there. We'll find people. They'll, they'll come in. It's like a dragnet. It'll draw them in. You put the word out there. They were foolish. Well, guess what? They are foolish. We once were foolish. Disobedient. You know, do you ever, you turn on the TV and you see, and you look at these disobedient people just doing all these wicked things. They're murdering babies. They're glorifying illicit sexual activities. They're parading around like Sodom. They're so disobedient. We were too. We were too. Deceived. They're so deceived. They truly believe that denominational doctrine. They truly believe what their mom has always taught them. They have studied seemingly the Bible, and we know some, they've read the Bible. It's, I've heard of people that read it every day, but they're deceived. We were once deceived too. <laughs> God's word can be amen. So be it. These individuals were serving various lusts and pleasures. Don't we see that? We do. Their life is, it's, it, 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 is, it is totally drawn in to various evil desires. And various pleasures. Does our, do people in... Poinsett and Craighead County, are there people living in pleasures? Yeah, absolutely. You, you know what I'm about to say. We, we did too. Living in malice and envy, people just ugly, full of anger in their hearts, hot burning anger. Envy, you see that. 
People murder for envy. Hateful and hating one another, and many of us were too. Every person who becomes a child of God has to have an interaction with Christ through the Word. And we have to get this straight in our minds. And I put this on the study guide, letter A. We have to understand when we try to bring people to Christ, we invite them to come to Christ by studying with them, by teaching them, by serving them so we can teach them. That they can come to Jesus and Jesus will change them. I thought about that a lot before I did this. We tend to think that a person has to change. And then they can come. Clean up your life and then come. And I can't tell you how many people in my little bitty short lifetime I have heard say, I'll come to church or I'll have that study or I'll get more serious about it once I clean my life up. We need to know that that's not the right order and teach them so. No, you come to Jesus and he will clean your life up. We don't clean our lives up on our own. Yes, there are efforts we must make in faith. But we do it through the word of God and God changes us through his word. I think if we look at other people like they have to change certain things, they have to remove all 400 tattoos, even though that's not a sinful matter in the New Testament, by the way, and I can take you up on that later. I know some of you don't like them. I don't necessarily like them myself, but bottom line, it's a matter of conscience. Instead of judging people when they come in and talking about their tattoos, why not ask them about it? Why did you get that? Well, my mama died of cancer five years ago. Got a tattoo for my mom. Okay, that's on you. Okay. These souls need the gospel. And if we think they have to clean up, they have to quit even doing things that are sinful before they can actually come, before they can actually be interacting with the church, before we can have any kind of relationship with them to help bring them to drive. No, it just doesn't work that way. They're not going to get it. And so everyone must have an interaction with Christ through his word. God's salvation has been made possible by his kindness because we ourselves once were these things. We did not bring about salvation. We did not make it possible. We certainly did not die on the cross for sins. Everybody has to have an interaction with Christ through the gospel so that they can come to him. Everyone. And that salvation has been made possible by the kindness of God and Christ, not the goodness of man. And that's what I gather when I read verses 3 and 4 and I continue through. We ourselves were once these sinful things, but... When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Verse number 7. We could be justified. <laughs> and I'm looking at all these verses in between. It's somewhat of a run on sentence it seems. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Though man was so sinful and that included us. We didn't produce salvation. We didn't make it possible. It's not by the works we have done that Jesus died on the cross. It's not because we were so good that God said, yeah, I'm going to send Jesus because they're so good down there. No. We as mankind, including our own selves and our own ways, we're so wicked. We're so lost. 
It wasn't our goodness that sent Jesus. It was, it was the love and kindness of God. We've got to keep that in mind. And what that does is that helps us as we're to be gracious toward people in the world who are foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts, pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And the gospel commands repentance, folks. Don't think that that's not part of it. But on our part, we don't repent to them. We're to be gracious toward them. On the part of people in the world, they're still in need of changing their hearts and their minds. Now watch this with me on the study guide under letter B. Everyone has to have this interaction through the Word of God because what we read is it was not the works of righteousness that brought the kindness of God. It was God's kindness that made salvation possible. Kind of like mentioned in chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God that uh, brings salvation has appeared to all people. Well, that had to do with his kindness and his love toward man, verse 4. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. There you have, and you can continue to study this on your own, God's salvation is accessed through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now again, look at this. Watch this thought with me, verse, or number, letter C. We must die to ourselves. That's repentance. Our own spirits were covered in sin. The souls of men and women, each of us, before we were in Christ, was covered with sin. Our spirit then spiritually was dead in sin. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, through His teachings, I, we have them right here, is implanted into our hearts through preaching, teaching, reading the Word of God, listening to the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, coming to faith in the Word of God, obeying the Word of God. And this reminds me so much of John chapter 3. We're familiar with this, right? Remember John 3? To an Israelite, Jesus said, you must be born again. And he particularized what that birth is by saying, you must be born of water and the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. It's simple, watch. To be born of water and the Spirit, that's to be baptized according to the teachings of the Spirit. You see, it's the Spirit of God who's revealed the truth. We wouldn't know the will of God without the Spirit of God having revealed this. Incidentally, we don't need the Spirit to illuminate us to understand it. He already illuminated it. It's already illuminated. <laughs> there are many who will pray when they're studying, Holy Spirit, show me this. And show. We, we don't need that. There's no instruction for that. That would be undermining what the Holy Spirit's already done. He's already illuminated it. We don't need to be illuminated. We need to have the Word of God in our hearts so that it moves away the sin and the doubt and the cares and the concerns and the sins and all those kinds of things. So in this turning from being godless to being in the grace of God, we die to self, our spirit is dead in sin, and the Spirit of God through His teachings is implanted in our heart. That's what it means for the Holy Spirit to be in me. It's not spatial. I'm convinced of that. Okay? It's, it's, it's relational. <laughs> I have a relationship with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, through his word. Without it, I don't know anything about them. As one wise man said, close your Bible and forget everything you've ever read and tell me one thing you know about the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Nothing. So we die to ourselves. That is, we put our own will away. Jesus said that, didn't he? 
Whoever would come after me, let him take up his cross. Remember, deny himself. Follow me daily. So to die to self, we allow our will to go away. And we accept God's will, which was delivered by the Holy Spirit via the Word of God. You remember Jesus said, John 6, 63, The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Right? Remember how he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? And many walked away and he's like, look, here's what I'm talking about. Talking about the truth that I'm telling you. I'm not talking about eating my raw flesh, my body, and my eyes and my ear. I'm talking about consuming me totally. You take in the truths that come out of the bread of life. Take them in. You obey them wholeheartedly. You believe them, you trust them, you obey them. So in this process of being saved through the washing of regeneration and being renewed by the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God planted in our hearts. It's not a miracle. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's the greatest message in the whole wide world. It's not a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's better than anything on the earth. The Word of God is implanted in our hearts, and I live by that truth. It's when I get rid of my will and my spirit, my desires, and I accept His will, and God's Spirit resides in my heart through His will. And I live by that. I've been renewed by the Holy Spirit. It's not a miracle. It's not silly. It's not fuzzy. It's not a feeling in your stomach that's acid. It's not that voice in your head, that's your conscience, you see. It's, it's the Word of God. And look with me very quickly, I don't like to flip, and I haven't done that, so I'm, I'm proud of myself because I don't like doing that. But 1 Peter chapter 1, listen with me, verse 22 and following. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another, remember this, fervently, with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. What is it, Peter? What's the incorruptible seed? The Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So, those two things have to go together. To be, as Titus was told by Paul, to be saved through the washing of regeneration, that's to be born again, regenerated, and renewed, made anew. That reminds me of Romans 6-4. We considered that Sunday morning at the end of the sermon. How we are to rise from baptism to walk in what? Newness of life. So there you have it. Renewing of the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit do it? Through His Word. The Holy Spirit's always worked through words. It was never experiences. The experiences that God's people had and experienced came as a result of the words that the Spirit taught. And the experience they had was, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I'm a child of God, I've been added to the church. It wasn't, you know, this something happened to me, and it felt cool in my room. And the next thing I knew, I randomly opened the Bible, and no, it wasn't ever an experience like that. It came through hearing the Word of God, singing on the Word of God, coming to believe that it's the Word of God, trusting that message so much that they obeyed it from the heart, Romans 6, 17, and 18. And so we're to die to self, and that our spirit will be dead in sin, but the Spirit of God makes us alive. Oh, that is a wonderful thought. And oh, how we need to get that as the church so we can help others understand that. Titus 3, verses 5 through 7 there, perhaps 
are some of the most butchered verses in the world. Some people go to this passage and think that this is the only formula or that it is a formula for exactly what one's going to do to be saved. They, they come to this and they say, well, what it's saying is you don't have to do anything to be saved. None of works of righteousness that we have done. That means you don't have to be baptized. And it's, it's like, no, 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 no. What Paul is telling Titus is verse 3, you once were all these wicked things, just like the rest of the world. And it was not that wickedness that brought salvation. Chapter 2, verse 11. What made it possible was the mercy of God by which he saved you. Notice again, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, he didn't come because of our works of righteousness. You see, when we understand this in a universal way, he's not talking about, well, there's no conditions to be saved. So I encourage you, try to be patient. I'm learning be patient with people. That's what they've heard. That's what they've been taught. They need to hear this. They need to understand that he's got the big picture in mind here. God sent his son not because of our works of righteousness. And that's absolutely true. Jesus didn't come because we're so good. It was the kindness of God. Because we were in sin and away from God. Doomed, damned with no hope. And that will motivate us when we remember to be gracious, remembering our past godliness, our godlessness, excuse me, and the graciousness of God. And that puts others in perspective. Let's look together at some things that I think are practical. I didn't cover all the verses very, very carefully, maybe. I do believe the verses I've handled, I've handled carefully. But this results in being justified by God's grace so that we can be heirs according to the hope of eternal life verse 7. What I want us to consider that I think will be helpful for me and you is to consider some do's and don'ts of evangelism. You can see them there on the study guide, but I want to go over them with you. These are some things that I've learned from wise men and women and things I've learned from principles in Scripture. Be gracious, don't be, letter A, neglectful. The word neglect means to disregard, to be careless, to fail to give proper care and attention to. That's what it means to be neglectful. We know what it means if we're neglectful toward our spouse or toward our job or toward someone around us that we love. Well, here in this idea, we're talking about being effective in reaching the community around us. We do not need to be neglectful. And I find myself, I have found myself in this category more than once, and I'm sure you probably have too. It has been said that the churches of Christ have become a group of people who serve the great omission instead of the great commission. And that's not good. We've got to change that. We can't omit the fact that we're to be discipling other people, and that's what this study's about. But let's ask some questions. Why aren't we evangelizing? Is it because of our lack of love for Christ? Is it because of our lack of concern? Is it because of our lack of conviction in the message? Is it because we're scared we don't know all the answers to all 50,000 questions we might be asked? Is it? What I think generally it boils down to is some kind of fear. We're afraid. Here's what I'm thinking, though. The answer to that, if we truly don't have enough knowledge, the first answer is study. Number two, remember, I am with you. Do we really believe that? 
Do we really believe the one into whom we were baptized? We trusted him to forgive us of our sins. Otherwise, we just got wet. He said when we do the Great Commission, I am with you. There's no greater company than King Jesus. You know, when, you, when you're talking to your boss, your coworker, to your elders, <laughs> you're, you're talking to your mother, your father, your sister, your child, your, I am with you. I love it when my friends are with me. I love it when I go door knocking and Brock Kendall's with me. I'm a little scared when I'm by myself, but when I got my brother with me, I'm not scared. I'm good to go. It's amazing how the Lord sent them out two by two. It's like he knew what he was doing, you know. You, you get down, one can pull you up and pick you up and help you and all those kinds of things. You got a witness to be with you. I am with you. Let's don't be neglectful. We know it's before us. Letter B, let's not be naive. Naive, the word means lacking informed judgment. We don't need to be naive to think that people are just going to come to Jesus on their own. And it could be that one of us thinks that. I have encountered brethren who were otherwise good, who thought, well, we've got a building, we've got a sign, we've got a radio spot. If they want it, they'll come get it. No. The instructions are to go. Go, go get them. Not be passive and hope they'll come. Just say a prayer. Dear God, we hope that the lost will come to you. To do that is to somewhat contradict God's word because we're not going to get them. So what we need to do when we pray, God, help the lost and my family and my community to come to God. We need to be the answer to that prayer. Go do it. Go reach them. Oh, that hits me right in the face. Aaron, go get them. Aaron, there's people in your family that are lost and you're waiting on this and you're waiting on that. There's nothing to wait for. There's love to be shared. There's truth to be taught. We must not be naive. We do not need to think that the lost will immediately develop an interest just because we invited them. Well, I invited them. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a baby step. That's, that's good. That's... But let's not invite people to church thinking that if they come to church, that makes them right with God. Because they can attend every service for a thousand years. If they're not in Christ, they're not right with God. And when you think about it, the assembly is not really for the lost. That doesn't mean they can't come. It doesn't mean they can't learn. But we don't need to cater the assembly to the lost. The assembly is for God and for God's people, not the lost. But if the lost want to come, come on. We want them to learn. But we're not altering it merely for you. I mean, yeah, we, we do make some accommodations, right? We don't tell them to lay on rocks. and You know, we, we do make some accommodations. That's, that's good. That's kind. But again, evangelism, discipleship, that, that, that's not just getting people in a building. It's more than that. It's teaching them. It's using the Word of God with our own lips. Number three, don't be naive by thinking that just because we have a building and sent out a flyer that that's going to convert them. No, don't assume that they know what the gospel meeting is. Let me suggest you don't have to do it because I said it, but I would like to suggest that we consider changing what we call these meetings. It might be more advantageous, right? I think we did pretty good on this one, spiritual revival. I think that's pretty good. Gospel meeting, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But how many times have you had somebody say, what's a gospel meeting? But if you were to say a spiritual conference, 
a study of God's word. They, they might, okay, I know what a conference is. It's where you go and learn, you listen. And not too long ago, we were talking about a lectureship, and I heard two people out of Christ say, what in the world, lectureship? You gonna go get lectured? That sounds terrible. <laughs> well, to the ears of the world, it does. Could we possibly change what we call it? We're not changing the message. We're not changing the church. We're just changing the way we, we, we could. We could. Don't be naive. Letter C, don't be negative. There's a lot of negativity in this world. And sadly, there's quite a bit of it in the church. And when it's in an eldership, when it's in a preacher, when it's in a husband or a wife or anybody, it, it's bad. It really is. The idea is expressing refusal to do something. Don't be negative by thinking, you know, well, that's what we pay the preacher for. Or that's the elder's job. Or I don't know enough. These are forms of being negative. I'm an introvert. That's not my personality. I'm too young. Boy, this one really shines as being negative to me. Well, you wouldn't want to come to the meeting, would you? <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't. You don't think I should either. I can tell. You know, and we laugh because that is so obvious. But don't we tend to kind of do that? We're like, hey, hey, you, you want to come to the, you know? I'm trying to illustrate that so I can be real, you know? It's not, I didn't do this to be funny. I'm trying to make us think. It's like, you know, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to come to the meeting, would you? You know, we won't say nothing offensive. And, and that's just being negative. It really is. Here's a bad one. Nobody wants the gospel today. That is so sinful. How do we know nobody wants it? Are we God? Well, I know because everybody in our community does this, this, and this, and they are so foolish. They are so disobedient. They are so deceived. They are so lustful. They, are, they live in pleasure. They are so hateful, and they're full of envy, and they hate each other. Yeah. We did too. Be gracious. By being practical about do's and don'ts. Don't prejudge those who will and won't respond. Thank you, Father in heaven, for forgiving me of that more than once. Prejudge. I know them. I've heard brethren say that too. If you knew their family, they well, if you knew my family. What family sinlessly perfect? You know, who would raise a hand? Oh, my family's sinlessly perfect. No. We once were that way too. Don't be negative. Letter D, don't be nasty. You know, the truth will offend people. It offended us at one time. But there's a difference in teaching the truth because you love the truth and you want people to go to heaven and just being nasty. Just being ugly, just being spiteful. We don't need to speak in a way as though we are better. I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> told you. I told you that wasn't in the Bible. No. And you know, it could be that we don't say that, but we feel that way. And that's not good either. We don't need to communicate with an attitude that we disdain people in religious error. Them Baptists, them Methodists, them Mormons, them Jehovah's Witnesses, them, 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 like they're an issue and not a person for whom Jesus died, just like us. 
We don't need to be nasty. To be purposely offensive with the word is sinful. And I might add this. Ultimately, God will judge me as an evangelist for whether or not I was purposely offensive. Not me and not you. Sometimes when the truth is taught, one out of 150 said, he was just so mean. And there's 40 of them going, I love that truth. Man, he did a great job. So who's the judge? God. Now, it's my job to have the best attitude possible. But, but God knows if I did or didn't. He knows. He knows if I'm putting on a fake and a front. He knows. And he'll take care of that in the judgment. He'll settle the score. Not me. Not you. That doesn't mean we don't hold each other accountable. Okay? If you truly believe I'm wrong, treat me like Apollos. Take me aside and talk to me. Don't tell other people and message the elders and come to me. That's what Jesus commands, Matthew 5. Let's don't be nasty. Letter E, don't be neutral. The idea is not taking part in or giving assistance to, not supporting any side, neutral. Even when you aren't able to help, say, doorknock because you're sick or you're too old or your legs won't work for more than 10 minutes. Because you know you have a legit problem. Guess who knows that? King Jesus. He knows. But you know, you might could still help provide waters for the people that are door knocking. Or text them or call them and say, keep up the good work. I've been praying for y'all while y'all are door knocking. Don't quit. I wish I could be there. I love you. I'm thankful to be a part of this church. Don't be neutral. There's always something we can do to assist, even if we are not able to directly help. For example, we can pray for every work of the church. Even if we're laying in a nursing home bed and we're on a feeding tube, as long as we have our mind, we can pray every day. And that's powerful. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person sometimes gets to the throne of God, right? <laughs> no. It's effective and it's working. It does much work. We can attend. We can participate. We can share. We can share advertisements. It's so simple to click a button on the internet. And if you honestly don't know how, ask somebody that does. Open up your Facebook account. Ask one of the younger people. Ask one of the somebody. Show me how to do those three clicks that you say are so easy and I don't know how to do it. Boop, boop, boop. I just shared it. And potentially 400 friends on Facebook can see it. You know, little bitty things can go a long way. Share the podcasts. You know, Brock and I do the two-by-two two podcast first and third Mondays. I'm not saying this because I do it. I'm saying this because I believe we're teaching the truth. Share the podcast. Let other people see it. We, we tend to share other things. We share things about our grandchildren, our children, and my daughter graduated from college I'm proud and that's okay <laughs> but what about people that need the gospel can't we use that we can don't be neutral number four let's be gracious by doing certain things not just not doing things we shouldn't but by doing things let's look at these very quickly I think these can be encouraging letter a let's be positive that means to be confident in one's opinion to be fully assured here's how we can be we can be positive by remembering every effort we put forth, every effort, no matter big or little we think it is, 
Every soul is worth it. What if you had to spend $1,000 or $10,000 for one soul to be saved? It'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. Do we actually think that if we go to the day of judgment, that the Lord will say, now why did you spend all the money that was collected on Sunday to try to reach souls? Only one got baptized. Or in 70 years, only 200 or what? No. The Lord's going to say already what he said. Matthew 16, 26, every soul, the soul, every soul is worth more in the world. Remember the powers and the message? That's a way to be positive. Instead of thinking it's all on me and I'm not a good speaker and I can't memorize all the verses and I didn't go to preaching school. and The Bible never says you have to do all those things. All we need to know is study the Bible. And on that, be positive by knowing if you know what you did to be saved, you can tell somebody else. You might not be able to answer the question what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. Or you might not be able to answer two or three questions that you hear about the one church because the Bible does teach there is but one church Jesus didn't say now I want there to be many denominations teaching many different things and he didn't say that that's not what he said he said the opposite of that he prayed for unity opposed those that would uh, hinder the word of God and change the word of God by the traditions of men etc be positive by knowing it's in the message. It's not in me. I don't have to go to preaching school. I don't have to have had been a member of the church for 40 years. I just need to take the word that I know I've obeyed and share it with somebody. Open the Bible. Be positive, as I said before, by remembering that Jesus is with us. That means everything in the world. Do we really believe it? Well, when we practice these things, we start to believe it. If we will remember it, let her be. Let's be purposeful. Be gracious to others by being purposeful. That means to have a purpose, to be resolute, to be firm in determination. Plan ahead. Don't think last minute. Even if it's a one-on-one interaction, a gospel meeting, a whatever the case may be. A conversation with a friend. A conversation with a co-worker. A conversation with your spouse. A conversation with your children, your grandparents, etc. Plan ahead. Think about it. Advertise things ahead of time. Have a specific goal in mind. Communicate that goal to the whole church. Don't just put up a flyer or announce it once. Talk about it until the event comes like it means all the world to you. That'll make an impression on people. If we talk like it's great, somebody might think it's great with us. <laughs> but if we just post it up and, hey, hope everybody comes and it'll be good. And, no, I'm not being purposeful. In our own personal lives, there are so many things that we can do. We can use DVDs. We can use tracks. We can share things online. There's tons of material available that can be good. And if you need advice on those kinds of things, ask some people that you think might know. Truly have purpose in your life by thinking about souls. And there used to be a little pen that you could wear on your lapel. We had one one time. And I'm ashamed. I don't know where it's at. It said, think souls. Think souls. Don't think black, white tall, short, fat, skinny, medium-sized, Hispanic. Don't think all those things. Think souls. Be prayerful, letter C. Pray for the lost. And I want to encourage each of you. Pray for opportunities to influence people with the gospel. Pray for the congregation where you are that you can have one-on-one opportunities. 
and pray like you mean it. And then when a visitor walks in, you look him in the face and with honesty, you say, I've been praying you would come. And it's not a lie. Because you prayed it from the heart already. You, you, you prayed for me, you don't know me. I didn't have to know you. I've been thinking about Christ and about how God saved me by his grace. And I've been praying that you can know God too. Pray and be specific. Be specific in your prayers about specific cares and concerns. Let's not just say, dear God, be with the sick and the poor and help the lost and be real generic. Because being specific encourages and it pushes the grace of God forward, I think. Letter D, be patient, forbear, give time, remember our past. We've got to plant the seed instead of trying to harvest a crop that's not been planted. Think about that. We go out, we have one or two or three conversations with somebody who's believed these different beliefs for five years, 50 years, whatever the case may be, and we've never even planted it. We're like, I don't know why they don't get it. I just don't get it. Why don't we get it? It's not that complicated. They don't get it because it ain't been planted in their heart. Once it's been planted, it has to be watered. It takes time. Don't be so hard on ourselves and think, we're a failure. It didn't work. I don't know the Bible enough. Plant it and wait a minute and water it. Ask somebody else to water it. Ask the church to pray for them. I wish we'd do that more. Tell one another, hey, I've, I've been studying my coworker's name's John. Will you pray for him? That would be a good thing to do. Be patient. Plant the seed. Give it time. Give people bite-sized doses of the Word of God. Remember, we didn't learn everything we know in five seconds, five minutes, five years. We didn't. It's a process. It's discipleship. And when they've been convinced and saturated with error, we know that it's going to take the right time, the right words, and effort. And that's where doing a good deed from a sincere heart can make a difference. Jesus fed people. But I hear my brethren say things like, well, we don't need to feed people. That's the social gospel. So did King Jesus, did he practice the social gospel? Tell me Jesus didn't feed people. And when he fed them, he taught them the word of God. There are opportunities. Maybe we shut ourselves off to them. Because we think the only work of the church is to preach the gospel. Well, okay, but it's also to serve your fellow man, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do a work of service of kindness, it opens the door up a little bit to teach the word. Now, here's the problem that I see a lot of times. Churches will serve and serve and serve. They'll feed the fire department. They'll feed everybody, and they don't teach them the whole truth. They'll sugarcoat it or change it. We don't need to be either extreme. We need to open the door with acts of service and kindness. You know, when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, people ain't going to know that by the knowledge in our head. They're going to know it when we speak words of truth and we do deeds of kindness. And we're going to look at that next, uh, tomorrow night, Lord willing. Number, f uh, number E, or letter E, we need, to, we need to be gracious by remembering to be powerful. Powerful. Uh, you know, when I say be powerful with a word, I obviously don't mean to force things down people's throat. I've already said that. I'm talking about the power of conviction. The power of zeal. Like, yeah, I really believe this. <laughs> I would rather somebody walk and go, that guy's a nut. He 
actually believes that. I would far rather them believe that than them walk out and go, what was he talking about? You know, I just I didn't get anything out of that because he didn't say anything that I didn't already know that didn't motivate me at all. Preaching makes a difference. It makes us change. It makes us think, especially when we're being honest. Because salvation is serious, it's necessary, it's a pressing concern, and so we need to teach people with power, knowing that God, through his power, commanded us to evangelize. It's not a suggestion. We need to do everything that we have with love for God and love of the truth, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, and be gracious. Be gracious to people. Let me close like this. I want to be very real and practical for myself and you too. In the society we live in with all the modern technology, we live in what we've all heard of, an information society. We are. We're not in an industrial country or society. We're in an information society. Click, 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 Google this, Google that, Google this, Google that, Google this, Google that, all the time. And if we're not careful, we start forming the way we feel about other people based on what we see on the Internet, Facebook, the news. And that is not right for a child of God. There's a modern term that is a very good and accurate way to describe what we ought to do, and it reflects the principles of Scripture. It's an Internet phrase or colloquialism. It's called touch grass. It's not a bad term. It's a good term. It means don't feel the way you feel about other people based on what you see on TV and the Internet. Get out, touch grass, meet your neighbor, talk to them and meet them. The Internet, the radio, the TV, they're going to tell you what they want you to hear. They're not going to tell you what God wants you to hear because the people that control those outlets are not children of God. Their goal in life is not to seek first the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean we need to hate them. I'm just putting us into reality and be gracious toward them by giving them opportunities and serving them, being patient with them. Don't form the way we feel about other people based on what we see on the news. Them white people, them black people, them this people, them Democrats, them Republicans, them this, them that. No, 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 no. Look, I realize there are wicked people in all those different segments, but that... That's not the right way to look at it. There, there are evil and good people in all different groups of people. Yeah, there are. And every one of them need an opportunity to hear the gospel. So my prayer is that I, myself, and you will take such. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here saying this in public. Maybe whatever, 70, 80 people hear me say this. To be an accountability measure like, Aaron, I want to see you do this. You just preach that. And I hope you feel the same way about yourself. Jesus wants, he needs, and he commands that we seek to be healthy spiritually, that we seek to be healthy in the work that we're doing. And one of the things that's emphasized in this section of Scripture is you remember you were once those things. And you didn't want to be that way when you heard the gospel. You were born again. You were regenerated. You were renewed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And now you're forgiven. You're sanctified. You're justified. Now you have God's promise that you can go to heaven one day if you'll just continue to walk in the light. 
Maybe you're here as a child of God and you're wanting, you need to hear something more about walking in the light. Walking in the light means I give God my best. I seek first the kingdom of God. It can't mean I live sinlessly perfect from the day I get baptized. It can't mean that because no one is getting to heaven after baptism because they never sinned. It means that I'm seeking God daily. I'm seeking first His kingdom. I'm walking in the light. And as I sin and I stumble, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse me. And when I realize I've done what's wrong, I pray for forgiveness. I don't walk around going, well, I wonder if I had a car wreck and I said a bad word right before I died. Would I go to heaven? Would I have time to say a prayer? Don't think that way. Just know that the blood of Jesus continues to flow. And when you know you've done what's wrong, confess that fault. Don't worry about what will happen if this and that and other. Just walk in the light. And when you know you've done wrong, the blood of Jesus is available. Confess your fault to God. Repent in your heart to God. He'll forgive you. Maybe you're here and you're thinking about evangelism. I know I have. I've been preaching about it all this time. It's 8.15. And souls are still just as precious before I started. We need to take some of these things from God's word to heart to be gracious toward others. And I truly believe it will help us as we grow and as we seek to help other people come to God. Be gracious toward people. Good people that are taught right will do right. There are people that are seeking. I recall when Paul was on his journeys that once before he went into one city, God said, I have many people in that city. But he had not been there yet. Does that mean they was already saved? No, it meant God knew potentially. He knew. He knew. God would know exactly who would be saved. He knows everything about everything. He knew there would be people there that would be saved based on the effort of Paul and others. There are people in this community when we're thinking there's nobody and everybody in America hates God. There are people in our communities that are going to be God's people if we give them the opportunity. Are we going to be the people that stand before God? He never mentioned him to me. No, we don't want to be that people. Help us, God in heaven, to be gracious toward others. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been thinking about all these things and you're just wondering about your soul's salvation. You're wondering about where you stand before God. My encouragement to you is to go to God's word. Study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you learn about Jesus... When you come to believe that he is the son of God, as he commands that we believe, John 8, 24, that you come to repentance, you change your heart, you, you, you confess the name of Jesus because we're so commanded, Romans 10, 10, and that we be a people who are baptized into Christ to walk a new life, Romans 6, 4, for the remission of sins so that we can have our sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. Please, please, if you're here this night and you're not a member of the Church of Christ, maybe you're a, no, a part of another group, just think carefully about those things. Study the Word of God. He wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And that knowledge needs to come from His Word. Jesus prayed, Your Word is truth. It doesn't need to be based on what I feel and what I think and what somebody that I truly love and adore told me. It needs to be based on what the one that we should love and adore the most has said. If you're here and you're doubting that or wondering that, if you need assistance with that, if you have some questions, myself, I'd be happy, Brock would be happy. There are other people here. There are other good gospel preachers here. There are elders in the church here at this congregation. I almost said Washington Avenue. There are good elders here in this congregation that would help you. I hope something I've said from God's word has been beneficial to you as we seek to be healthy and bring people to Christ. We sing a song of invitation.
I hope that we can stand and sing in a way that will please God and encourage us as we think about this effort. Maybe work together and encourage one another. If you need to respond, respond. Let us know how we can help you. Let's stand together and sing together.